This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Cassell, and with me today is not Dan Lyons and his special guest, Andy Pregler. Hey everyone, you get, uh, as SB Nation tradition, you get a Yinzer with the first name starting with A. That's usually how it works around here. Um, as a side note, Dan is uh, feeling a little under the weather, so we'll give him some time to recover. I know he was hanging out down in Atlanta, got to see the Mets lose, I'm pretty sure, um, as one usually does. But in any case, Andy, great to have you on. And, and, and any opening statements you'd like to share before we dive in? If we can avoid the baseball talk, that's best. I'm uh, I'm a Pirates fan, and like Mets fans, I'm used to my team starting off well and then collapsing down the stretch, and the Pirates are most definitely starting off very well. Best starting pitcher ERA in the National League, and I can't wait for that to uh, come crashing down in about July. I mean, fair, but at least like Mets fans, we sometimes experience joy. Yeah, I, I got nothing. That's what keeps us going. Yeah, Mets fans get to get, get to enjoy, you know, the, the fleeting moments of, of, of just pure excitement and, and actual, like, moderate excellence. And then for every one of those, like, they, they, there's an equally crushing uh, level of disappointment that we get to balance out. And it's funny that even though Dan's not on, we still, once again, for like the third or fourth straight week, get to start off by talking about the Mets here. Uh, I, I do appreciate that this is now a tangential baseball podcast, uh, fulfilling my dreams of eventually getting SU to be a baseball school, something I'm pretty sure for the first six years that I worked uh, as a writer at Noons, I would write yearly in April. It, it's too much chagrin of, uh, of the, uh, I think, Syracuse fan base. I think everyone's just kind of tired of hearing about what might happen if we have an ice hockey team or what happens if we have well, a men's ice hockey team. And what happens if we have a baseball team? I, I think if Dan and I decided to make this a baseball podcast, we would in turn never talk about baseball because that's kind of how this podcast works. The subject matter is uh, is, is rarely the focus. Well, the uh, the good news is for everybody that I have no knowledge of Tulane, so we're not going there tonight. I don't really think Dan and I have much knowledge of Tulane either, if, if you've been paying attention. Um, <laughs> we, we, we rarely go past the surface. <laughs> I mean, wavy McWave face is, is awesome. Wave McWave face is great. Uh, some of the news that we've been discussing this week, uh, one of those big items uh, after the blog, myself specifically, uh, talked about schools that we could schedule for 2020 to fix our um, large, large opening in the non-conference slate. We went ahead and scheduled Western Michigan for 2020 and 2023. Um, that'll be a home and home tacked on to the home and home that we already had for 2018 and 2019. Andy, opening thoughts, what do you think about Western Michigan again. What do you think about seeing Tim Lester for the foreseeable future? Is there a team on the short list of teams we could have actually scheduled here that you would have preferred to see? I mean, personally, uh, I'm a big Western Michigan fan just because I have a friend who's a Western Michigan fan. So I actually skipped out on a Drake concert to watch the Syracuse Western Michigan game. So that's where I'm at when it comes to this faux rivalry sort of thing. But but in reality, I, I do think that this is exactly what Syracuse needed. Western Michigan is a top half Mac school. When, and if they're having a really good year, then they're going to contend for the MAC title. So it's a nice challenge. But in reality, if, if Syracuse continues even on a slightly downward trajectory from here on out, if they're you know a seven and five, eight and four team, they should handily take care of Western Michigan even on the road. And I do like the idea of just locking up an opponent that we already know. The deals are probably you know relatively favorable to Syracuse as opposed to trying to go and get. Uh, a power p5 uh, school to come and face us so i'll take this uh, it's it's definitely kind of frustrating that this is happening a year before or a couple of years before 2020 but you, you take what you can get when you're putting yourself behind the eight ball in this situation yeah i mean that's the thing i understand why in some ways that su waited you know you're worried about the dome renovations and how the non-conference schedule was affected by that but at the same time like i'd rather have an opponent locked in and then mess with things accordingly because like I'm fine with Western Michigan uh, from a competition level standpoint. What what concerns me is 
fam- the familiarity that we're we're going to create with with a four game series um, where the teams play four games in a matter of what is it six years, um, and, and and that's a little problematic because I do think that you know the more familiar, especially with this system, the more familiar you are with it, the the, the more likely you are to be able to defend against it, compete with it. Um, you'll, you'll have you know, a little too much game tape around how your team in particular and how the guys coming back for us um, are going to respond to your defense. And, and I think that might create some problems down the road. But um, considering the alternatives where Ohio, who's also on the future schedule, and maybe doing messing around with some of the future schedules with um, FIU and uh, SMU in particular, and, and those would have been a little bit harder to, to, to swing than this, I, I think it's fine. I, I, think, I think Syracuse knew that WMU was one of the few schools they could they could actually accomplish this with and they did it. I'm hoping that they didn't see the article that we wrote last week and then <laughs> and, and, and then make that move as a result. But you never know. I, I, I think uh, I think any there, there, there's very little that would surprise me about this outcome. <laughs> I mean I can confirm that people in the athletics department are readers of Nudes Magician. Uh, whether or not that was what spurred the deal, uh, I cannot say. But I, I think one of the interesting things about this deal is that going to what you said about the game tape and getting the familiarity, I think it's really smart that WMU is coming to Syracuse in 2023. So hypothetically, that most you know informed matchup is at the Carrier Dome. The Syracuse will have the home field advantage. And I know Western Michigan fans going into this past season, they were kind of circling that Syracuse game as a potential upset, as a potential like, hey, this is where we can show just how good the Mac is and show even though we're not expecting to be a top team in the Mac, uh, that we can hang with Syracuse. And they did hang with us, but you know, ultimately their season didn't go the way I think a lot of their fans wanted to go. I think that there's a little bit more of a rebuild happening up there than they want to admit. <laughs> and then Tim Lester has the rope for, but Overall, I, I kind of like the idea that we're going there next year when they're probably still going to be figuring some things out and not, you know, a contending Mac school to do one of those 10 and two runs that, that the Mac usually puts out. Yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting, you know, couple of years for, for WMU. Obviously, like, you know, PJ Fleck created a ton of, of hype created some really great um, recruiting returns for them. And you're starting to see those players. I mean, they're already halfway out at this point. But I will say, like, as much as a lot of people are like, oh, wait till the Fleck guys are gone, then WMU kind of drops back to the pack. Tim Lester has actually been recruiting at a pretty high level. Um, not like not not at the level necessarily that Fleck was nationally, but for, for a Mac, from a Mac perspective, you know WMU has been one of the top two to three programs in terms of incoming talent since Lester took over. I think I think he might have a, a more of a rope than people think, if only because he's an alum. He he's a recent former player. He he's gotten some pretty some pretty good results. I, I think last year's injuries were really like the biggest, uh, you know, derailment to, to what they were, they had going on. I think, I think the gap based on, you know, what Dino's brought in and what Lester's brought in, I think is going to continue to increase, uh, between these two programs. But I, I do think that Western Michigan probably stays at least a, a respectable-ish opponent through, through the, the end of this deal in 2023. Yeah. And I, I, you brought up a really good point about Lester. Uh, my friend Jake, who's the Western Michigan fan, you know, he he can speak no ill of Tim Lester at this point. Uh, he, you know, Lester done, has done a really good job of being the guy after Fleck, being the guy to kind of continue at least to the fans and to the you know big alumni for Western Michigan, being a, a big hype man and being somebody that they believe in, that they trust in. And even though Fleck's gone, they're happy that they have Lester. Which you know, give, I I will give all the credit in the world to the Western Michigan decision makers there that was an inspired choice and even though Lester n- might not have had the experience that you want in that kind of a hire it's it seems to have worked out relatively well and I think that Lester is increasingly becoming one of the bright spots of the Schaefer era at Syracuse even though bubble screens will be forever burned into our collective subconscious it is weird with Lester like I never really had any interaction with him uh, from a media perspective I know anyone who did really liked him I, I think that he was refreshingly honest. He was frank about what they had. What, what, what I, what I, I never understood about his his tenure at SU was that he, he was he was given the job for 2015 in a year that Schaefer needed results. He was just handed the job without really looking anywhere else. 
uh, to run the offense when we'd seen nothing in, in the six games that he had run the offense in in 2014 uh, that that suggested that he should have been you know the offensive coordinator. And then the the 2015 offense was still like really confusing at, at a lot of different times. There were a lot of unblocked bubble screens. There were you know jet sweeps to Ben Lewis. <laughs> all, all, all kinds of things that like I just can't like and, and then you think about it too like like that's what that offense looked like with Eric Dungy at quarterback and oh. and, 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 and that, that that's what, what I just need to like underline and bold like I don't need to as much anymore because you know now that Dino won 10 games now that SU won a bowl game last year like the the, the, the pro Schaefer crowd is really just kind of like just gone silent which is fine, but I, I think before that, I had to kind of underline that for, for people that were still very much in the pro Schaefer crowd of like, remember this part where, where Tim Lester didn't really get much out of Eric Dungy. <laughs> it's, it's fascinating because that entire coaching staff felt like they had the biggest chips on their shoulders and they didn't quite know how to handle it. And I think what, I think what, is going to be a really interesting thesis that I'll that I'll stand behind without really diving too deep into just from conversations I've had with friends is that it really seems like Scott Schaefer is the kind of guy who's a better coordinator than he is a head coach and Lester is the kind of guy who's a better head coach than coordinator and so you start to do the what ifs their their roles have been flipped at Syracuse it seems like Lester when he's kind of taking a bigger picture perspective is better than being the guy who needs to be in the weeds and you know charting out the first 30 plays of every game and being in charge of that he'd rather be a high level guy while Schaefer very clearly is a really good defensive coordinator for getting his teams up against superior talented opponents but when it came to the day-to-day things that you need to do as a head coach just was very clearly out of his depth yeah I, I think that's fair on both fronts I mean we'll never really know obviously in terms of the what if if only because you know, Lester getting a shot was due to Scott Schaefer. And obviously, like, Schaefer wasn't... Schaefer was, you know, one of only two people that were really in line to get that job. Um, when Doug Marone left, uh, Lester was obviously not on that list. But yeah, it, it is a fascinating what-if about what if those roles had been switched. Um, I also wonder, you know, w- what if it was Schaefer that had gone to the Buffalo Bills? Um, oh. and, and Hackett that had, had stuck around to coach Syracuse. You know, Hackett was... was you know, is, is still much maligned even in the NFL as someone who, who sometimes gets some really great results and other times doesn't um, out of his units. I know for Syracuse, even the, the real breakout year in 2012, we were still pretty hot and cold um, until about mid-year when we really kind of caught fire. I There's too many what-ifs for one podcast, but yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I'm interested to see Tim Lester. I, I think that, that Western Michigan, again, I, I'd rather not face... Um, non-conference teams more often than we face conference teams. Um, looking at you, the rest of the coastal division other than Pitt. Oh. But yeah, it's it, it's a confusing dynamic. It's one that I hope we don't put ourselves in any more than we already have. And I guess that's a segue-ish to a team we're facing three times in a short stretch, uh, Liberty, who I'm not going to get into all the, uh, the, the, the negatives about Liberty and facing them and putting them on a platform and things like that. I, I, I got into some of that in the comments today and some of that in the article today. Um, I, I don't need to rehash that here, but we did start our early opponent previews and Liberty's up first. We visit them in Lynchburg. Uh, again, I'm not pleased about it, but I think we stand a pretty good chance to, uh, to lay 50 or 60 on him based on what that defense looked like last year. Yeah, I mean, Liberty is just going to be an interesting situation because I I think we're at a point where you can't divorce a a university from what they stand for. Um, Being somebody who has previously worked in higher ed, you know, whatever the culture is set from the top influences everything, including athletics. And you know, what Liberty stands for is well documented. I have my own personal reservations similar to you and a lot of other people in our community who don't love it. Uh, And I don't love the idea that we're giving them a paycheck for the right to get stomped by 60 to us. That said, I, I do think that one of the most underrated things about Dino Babers is that that man can carry a grudge in the most interesting ways, a la making sure that Bobby Petrino left the carrier dome with the tail between his legs in the most humiliating fashion possible. And I feel like 
I don't know where Dino stands with him and Hugh Freeze. I feel like Hugh Freeze is a very divisive figure within the coaching inner circles that I hear Stephen Godfrey talk about uh, from occasion. But I feel like this is a great situation where if Liberty comes out thinking that they are turning a corner, that hiring Hugh Freeze puts them on the map, Dino may have it in his back pocket to just kind of gently or not so gently remind them that, uh, no, they're not very good. They've still got a long way to go. And that the Syracuse football team has the ability to drop 70 on a team if if you're not prepared. Yeah. And I mean, admittedly, I, I think that, that Liberty is going to be more prepared now than they would have been under Turner Gill. That's not to knock Gill. It's just to point out that some of Freeze's bona fides should indicate that, you know, Liberty will be ready to go. I think it's just going to be the fact that, you know, talent-wise, Yes, Liberty's been ramping up to to do full fledged FBS status for for a few years, but they're still not there from a recruiting standpoint. Obviously, last year's defense gave up almost thirty seven points a game. Uh, I, I I think that too. You you look at thirty seven gave up almost thirty seven points a game. You look at the opponents. You know, home and home with New Mexico State facing New Mexico. Uh, I think UMass was on there last year as well as this year. I think Auburn was actually one of their better defensive efforts <laughs> <laughs> last year somehow. So it, it's it's definitely they're definitely a program that 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 is getting there. And by getting there, I still mean like okay, like you can become a consistent six or seven win independent program that still has a really weird schedule. I I, I think that that hopefully no one rushes to necessarily like crown them as some rising power because realistically they still have a long way to go and and i think umass has proven this i think new mexico state's kind of proven this like even byu to some extent uh just based on i I feel like once you look past like the initial group for byu of like really good non-conference opponents um it gets much harder to really sustain that sort of excitement for their fans, for the team, I, I think that you know Liberty's definitely got a, a really long road ahead of them uh, in, in terms of just being a, a, a pretty good FBS program and also one that could potentially you know wind up in a conference. Because I, I mean, like you said, I don't think you can divorce a, a university's top level persona and, and, and ideals you know from the, the football program. It's it, it's one of the reasons why the Pac-12 hasn't hasn't invited BYU, um, and, and BYU, you know, large scale is far less problematic th- than Liberty is, and, and still, like the Pac-12's brain trust just won't really get behind it. Yeah, it's you know, if we're gonna if we're gonna kind of veer into this conversation, I, I think it's really interesting. You know, the, I mean. Liberty lost to UMass, who was a remarkably terrible team last year. Like they, they're so far away from being even a pesky G five that that you schedule. You know, they're they're a team right now that needs to really work on figuring out where the recruiting base is going to be, how they're going to get kids into that program, into that school with that mentality. What what are you going to do from a from a personnel standpoint to maximize what talent you do get into the system? And I I don't see a path for them right now that makes me say you know what like these guys are up and comers. Everybody just wants to say that they're up and coming because like BYU, like Notre Dame, they're a small religiously inclined university that is going independent and has a lot more control over their year to year scheduling than a team in the conference from the standpoint of you get to pick who you play. But I think really something that uh, podcast ain't played. Nobody brings up all the time is that being an independent now is significantly harder than being an independent was in the seventies and eighties and nineties when we're used to framing these discussions nowadays with intra-conference rules and you know different i'm we see it in college basketball where certain conferences will literally line up in deals you know that could come to football very quickly just to continue to consolidate power between the pot the p5 because at the end of the day the power five really controls college football they want to make sure that that power is consolidated it's why notre dame has a half a foot in the acc right now because notre dame kind of realizes that this is the one way to stay relevant uh, while still maintaining that, you know, industrialist uh, independent status that they that their alumni hold so dear. Yeah, I, I think that that you know that's a great point there. And I think too, you look at Liberty. Obviously, Liberty's not BYU. They're not Notre Dame. They're able to get a couple, um, you know, Power Five programs. Like next year, it's us, Virginia, and Rutgers are all on there. And in the next few years too, they have at least two or three um, per season. But a lot of these, and, and I forgot where I read this. 
and, and and if somebody calls me out in the comments after and maybe with a link that tells me where it's from i uh, would love to see it i think from what i understand like liberty's not actually getting much of anything out of this uh from a financial standpoint uh from us from and from the other schools too and, and it ends up that like this is very much like liberty knows that they're pretty much paying us to like show up uh and, and and the same goes for a lot of these other schools where they just need that exposure and they need those teams on the schedule because you know there's just not enough g5 teams uh, i am curious about them and umass really long term whether or not those those programs are going to be able to stick around in fbs i think liberty liberty wants to be there pride standpoint from uh from a you know motive standpoint in some ways like, I don't think they'd go anywhere even if they were struggling every year and doing home-and-homes in Mexico State. But I think UMass has a, a very short rope left uh, in terms of what they can do. And be, because realistically, like, unless the Big 12 expands, they don't really have an avenue to go anywhere else. And, and honestly, even then, uh, I think there's a lot more schools on that list than, you know, versus a UMass program that's been down now for, a, for at least a decade, uh, can't really recruit at an FBS level, doesn't have, you know, a, a stadium situation that people are really all that excited about. The students don't necessarily care about the team anymore. And, and but like you mentioned too, like there, there's, there's no local recruiting base. So there's too many things that, that count against them uh, when it comes to a potential, you know, AAC or Conference USA in a long shot bid than there would be for a lot of other programs that are in that lower rung of the G5. Yeah, not to turn this into a, a Minuteman minute, but uh, my fiance's father works at UMass. And so every holiday, we're pretty much up there just because it's easier to get there than it is to get to my neck of the woods. And every time he brings it up that, you know, they're paying the basketball coach this many millions, they're paying the football team this many millions a year that they're that they're never recouping. And it's very much become a, a very sore spot as Massachusetts is a state that provides a lot of services to employees, to its residents. And this football team is just being looked at as this massive drain that has never lived up to expectations that can't get anything going. And really, you know, I think that they've kind of leaned on some of, of maybe having a basketball uh, redevelopment, you know, Calipari obviously has that miracle UMass run that doesn't exist in the eyes of the NCAA, but everybody still kind of remembers. But even that's so far gone that no one, I think, really associates UMass as a D1 power in anything outside of hockey. And their fans and their alumni and the people in the state, that's that's what they care about. Like UMass being a hockey school is, is fine for them. They're content with that. They don't need to be a football school. They don't need to be a basketball school. Yeah, I I, I think, you know, my sister is a, is a UMass alum as well. And I think she... Uh... She, she really didn't care about sports while she was there. And, and, and part of that's a personality, but part of that's, yeah, the state of things. I, I, I am, I'm very interested to see what's going on with that program going forward, but I don't want to turn this into a very off-topic podcast. <laughs> so I, I will redirect us uh, first to a word from our sponsor. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And then I guess we could talk a little bit about, actually, you know what, why don't we go to beer? And then from there, we could talk a little bit about uniforms uh, and, and some other assorted items. So Andy, what have you been drinking? So full honesty is that in the last month or so, I've really been making a switch from beer to whiskey as I'm under the six months away from my wedding, which will have an open craft beer bar set up, which is ironic, but beer is a little bit tougher to count calories for than than whiskey is but um i actually hung out with a friend uh this weekend out in new jersey and he bought a saranac sampler so i had some of their ipas that were uh pretty solid it's always just a, a nostalgic go back to for me that that i love but some of the beers that i actually have are from that i've drank most recently are from connecticut friend who's up in connecticut gave me some when i went to go watch the NCAA tournament and got around to it uh, Headway IPA from Counterweight Brewing Company. Uh, it's an IPA that I actually 
uh, had more than a couple of. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that one. And then uh, Little Heaven Session IPA was what they had on draft at the Excel Center, and I was able to find some of that here in New York. Uh, really kind of enjoyed that. And uh, there was a Too Juicy from Two Roads Brewing IPA. I didn't like that one as much as the other two. That's also my my tastes kind of run a little bit more hoppy, a little bit more to that California IPA style, if I'm going to go with an IPA. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm in the same boat more often than not. Uh, speaking of, uh, I had uh, Pizza Port uh, canned, one of their more recent IPAs, their uh, Palapa IPA. Had one of those. Uh, had some Made West Standard, just a Blondale from, uh, from Made West around here. And then had uh, from Melvin Brewing up in Wyoming, had a uh, Hubert uh, MPA. It's uh, super good. So, yeah, that was. I also had like a Stone Enjoy by 420 and something yeah. else, I think, but not a, n- nothing new there. So I, I won't, won't get into it too much. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested as we get as we switch over to the summer. It's always a tough transition for me to get away from my IPAs and to go into the blondes and go into the sessions, just because I feel like the IPA has just become my standard. That's what I'm going to go for. Uh, if I'm not at a brewery or I'm not at a very specific regional spot here in New York, I, I'm just going to go with whatever IPA you have on tap in the summer because. You know, some of those most places just like to have their standard macro light beers and their whatever sour or fruit beer they have is actually pretty terrible. (laughs) Yeah, I uh, I'm a big I'm a big Goza fan in the summer. I'll I'll, I'll drink plenty of those. I'll drink I'll drink a good Pilsner year round if it's a it's a good craft Pilsner. And then, yeah, I'll I'll usually opt for sessions and pale ales in the summer if I can, just because it does get at least. A little bit hotter around here, even if it doesn't get sweltering the way it does in New York City and, and, and other points in the Northeast where it's actually humid. Yeah, I have to I have to give Dan a shout out, even though uh, he is not here. He, you guys have been talking about Five Burrows Bre- uh, Brewing Company for a while. I know Dan's a big fan of it. I finally found a bar that had their stuff on tap, and it was actually exclusively the only beer that they had on tap was Five Burrows. Um, that this was probably about a month ago, and I was able to try their IPA. I was able to try one of their sessions, and I, I really enjoyed it. So now that's on the summer list of breweries to hit up here when I get some summer Fridays and get some longer weekends to go and explore the city. So you guys uh, do have good beer recommendations. We do what we can. What can I say? But now we're gonna uh, pivot a little bit to something that's near and dear to your heart. Uh, oh dear, uniforms. We got to talking a little bit about uniforms a couple weeks ago when it seemed like there was a slight change in the Nike website, things were changed back. There's no update as of right now. I don't think we should be expecting anything this season. But I, I think that I think that SU fans are anxious to see something change in the next few years. And, and Andy, I know you have some theories, at least, on, <laughs> on, on some things that, uh, that, that you, as a fan, would potentially want to see from Syracuse's branding um, and, and just their uniforms and things like that in the next couple of years. Yeah, uh, I mean, this is something that I've always been following since my days as a student, just kind of wanting more. And, you know, I was a student athlete in the loosest definition of the word um, and was able to get some Nike gear. And that kind of showed me, you know, how the gear system works for Nike schools. And I kind of dug into it. And so just and it's something that I I have very limited sourcing for anything news related. But uniforms is one of the few things that I've kind of tapped into and I've got some info on. Um, but one of the things that's abundantly apparent right now is that I know a lot of the uniform discussion kind of reemerged because John Wildhack had got quoted in the po- in Syracuse.com saying that you know a Nike deal was close, and I I can confirm that as of last week, pen to paper there had not been signed anything, so the deal is still right now something that we're talking of as potentially, and just from a pure logistics standpoint, just from a pure um, kind of understanding how this business works. If there's no deal in place right now, there's almost no chance at a rebrand of any kind happening this this fall. Um, the Athletic actually did a really great story about this in regards to soccer jerseys and about how all the MLS jerseys are kind of looking the same now. They're all from the same template, which then led into a deep dive into why does Adidas do it this way? And it turns out that Adidas, Nike, Under Armour, all basically in an effort to maximize profits but still provide everything to their schools that you know they're paying all this money to mass produce on a ridiculous scale and in order to ensure that there's no waste of product you know they basically create a few different templates and they offer schools they offer professional teams 
you know, one of a few templates to choose from. So when you get a rebrand, you're basically asking Nike to create a new template. And when you're asking Nike to create a new template, that takes years of development, that takes uh, a special clause in the contract. And right now, you know, we're under five months from the football season starting. There's almost no way that we'd be able to get some kind of new templated jersey out. We'd basically be keeping our current jerseys for at least this upcoming season. And then if there were going, if there was going to be any kind of rebrand, as soon as the deal is signed, they'd start to have those conversations and we'd see them at 2020 in the earliest. So I don't think that there's any way that we get new football and basketball uniforms this year. That doesn't mean we don't get a special one-off jersey because those are something that Nike can kind of do when they're not expected to provide anything outside of the team environment. But it all comes down to merchandising. Like Nike makes all their money off of selling these jerseys to fans and selling equipment to teams that they don't have deals with. So that's at the high school level and that's at the semi-pro level. And in order to do that, they need to ensure that there's a, a certain amount of surplus that they're reusing with their with their partner schools. And at this point, I can't see Nike wanting, I can't see John Wildhack, I can't see the new branding team at Syracuse wanting to basically half-ass a rebrand just to get something new out when they can take their time uh, and make sure that it's something that will appease the fans because I, I know they're listening. I know they're reading Noon's Magician about this thing and they know that if they do a rebrand, they have to get it right. Yeah, th- I really do appreciate that, Andy. I think that it's a great, you, know, you and I talk about it here and there on the, the Noon's Magician Slack. I know other people on the blog do too. It's it's great to get some of that inside baseball you know, type conversation uh, you know, out in the open a little bit so that people understand just what goes into it, just what happens. Uh, one question I had for you, because I know you mentioned the, the one-off uh, jerseys usually just being relegated to um, you know, team use. What happens with like a, a one-off jersey like the the Syracuse script that we've seen not just on the court but 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 manufactured for for fan purchase? What prevents a uniform like that from quickly kind of going into circulation um, season long and also you know going into use uh, for a full season? Is it just a Jim Beheim thing? Is it a Syracuse thing? Is it a Nike thing that they need to use base template for for a couple different game or a, a, an allotted amount of games? Like what goes into that decision making? Yeah, so if you take a look at those script jerseys that Syracuse wore and that a few other schools wear, I know that uh, Villanova has a script jersey that they like to wear often. Uh, Ohio State broke it out. Is that It's basically a, a different jersey cut. That's the obvious part, that Syracuse right now is part of the Nike quote-unquote elite line, which means that it's a V-neck cut. Uh, it's made out of a certain material that's recycled plastics. It's incredibly light. It's It's very breathable material. And these throwback jerseys are not made of that material. It's a different material. It's a different jersey cut. It's a different, basically, jersey. So what Nike did back in, I want to say it was 2012 when we first wore uh, those script jerseys with the blue shorts, the Tyler Ennis uh, year, that was because Nike was basically creating this new cut and they wanted to showcase it with their Nike Elite schools. So that way, everybody else watching could go, ooh, I want that as our new base template or Um, You know, a high school team sees that design and goes, oh, I'll buy that for my team. Um, We basically become a a testing space for uh, for Nike when it comes to these new jerseys. So when Syracuse goes and says, "Okay, we want to do this alternate jersey, what Nike will then do is provide Syracuse X number of alternate jerseys in that cut, in that style, up to Syracuse's specifications. Uh, They'll give them the numbers and the letters so that way they can add the player name and numbers to the back. But when you're talking about that versus making it for a full season, uh, those are two different loads of jerseys that you're asking for. So in a special one off, you can basically say we have, uh, you know, 18 scholarship or 18 players on the basketball team. Plus, we want another, you know, 40 for alumni to use or in in case we want to reuse this jersey at another point in the season. What they what Nike allots for them as their regular amount is significantly higher and is, you know, of that better material. So I think if Syracuse went to a, uh, some kind of a throwback jersey full time, there would be a much larger conversation about making sure that that material is what the players are used to right now, because Syracuse does have that quote unquote elite status on the basketball side. Um, and it's it's really weird because at times uh, Nike really likes to showcase that and be like, 
hey, Duke's an elite school. Arizona's elite school. It means something to be one of our elite schools. And at other times, they they just abandon the branding altogether. See, that's like a really interesting deep dive into something that like I, I thought I knew like a little bit about, and I do, but like didn't know like all of those details. So I, I do appreciate that, Andy. I think it's it's good for, for people to hear that kind of type of stuff and just know like kind of what goes into the development process and, and the thought process. I know like a lot of... I feel like a lot of fans were pretty pissed off this past weekend when Baylor and West Virginia revealed like pretty much like identical new uniform sets for football and they looked a lot like the Penn State uniform sets. They were pretty bland and basic. Like I didn't I don't mind a, a fairly basic uniform set, but yeah, they, they were they were by and large just like like, oh, these are classic, but they were but classic for them like didn't really didn't really mean much. It's basically yeah. like yeah, just get rid of the just get rid of the like wacky shading and 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 get rid of some of the jagged edges and then and then here you go here's Penn State's uniform in a different color. Yeah, and I think that's like the biggest challenge with Syracuse right now is that Nike is choosing the the easiest way for Nike to basically give a school a quote unquote identity is with a font. So every time that a school gets a rebrand, they get their own custom font from Nike. So Syracuse has that style font that everybody hates. And so as John Wildhack is at the table with Nike and saying, listen, you know, we're, we'd like to have a redesign. Nike is basically countering with saying, and this is all hypothetical, but at least based off of experience, based off of what we've seen, Nike is going back and saying, oh yeah, we can do a very classic looking jersey. It's going to look almost exactly like Illinois. There's almost going to be no distinctive difference between the Illinois jersey and the Syracuse jersey with the exception of the numbers. And the numbers are like the one thing that fans are almost universally against from a Syracuse side. So this creates a really interesting dynamic when it comes to the rebrand. Do we go with something really classic and find a new way to differentiate Syracuse from everybody else? Or do we keep that weird numbering font and we get a very basic jersey. So there's there's a lot of these little intricacies that are going into the conversation that I know Wild Hack and other people in the athletic department are having. And one of the biggest issues that Syracuse has to handle on our side before we can even go to Nike is that right now athletics orange university orange are two different shades of orange and the orange that's on the basketball court is a third different shade of orange so we need to get our own house in order before we go to nike and say like this is what we want to do when nike's already in a situation going well we already gave you your unique brand element and we're basically saying we don't like that we want something new now i guess my question is why did we ever want the unique element that we were given to begin with (laughs) given how goddamn terrible it is uh two words dr gross because <laughs> remember when when the when that was launched the reason that the numbers are all slanted and the reason that there's all that weird shading on the shoulders is that uh the the numbers are quote unquote supposed to invoke the new york city skylines and the the slanting on the side of the shoulders at a 44 degree angle to to accentuate the 44 syracuse those were discussions that had been had with the previous athletic administration with dr gross and his team uh when that nike deal was was being made so it's at this point you know we're kind of stuck with what the previous administration had negotiated for us saying well, they don't speak for us anymore. And in Nike's case, they always go like, well, this is what happens with all of our schools and they keep our brand element because we're Nike and we can make it a thing. Um, but yeah, we're, Syracuse has put themselves in a very interesting situation in these negotiations. All right. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to, to hearing more about these negotiations when they're done. I mean, we're only going to hear so much, obviously, in terms of like the, uh, the brass tax and, and what was given up and, and sacrifice and things like that. But I, I'm more curious to see, obviously, the finished product, what goes into the decision making around, you know, what a potential rebrand might look like if we have one, what type of, you know, uniform elements we'd be we'd be changing or altering to a great degree. Um, I think I think for basketball, I think it's much more clear cut. I think the script is something that everyone's really kind of loudly championed um, just mm-hmm. because of how generic the uh, the current set has been since it was, you know, since some semblance of it was introduced at this point, you know, back in 07. So it, it's really been a very, very long time, especially for Syracuse um, with one set. 
Um, and I think it's a pretty boring one. It's been a pretty boring one the entire time. I'm very much hoping that, that we see the script or something similar, or even a return to any of the old jerseys, really. Um, j- just not the current set. Now, and I'm sure you and a lot of other SU fans in general probably agree that it, it's time to retire you know, th- th- this uniform group, even if you know we have made a few Final Fours. We've had some great success and really good seasons. Um, I, I, think it's, I think it's time to put that one out to pasture. Yeah, and I mean, just looking at the uniform from a pure aesthetic standpoint, you know, a big part of the shorts is that there's the boxer waistband with the cuse on it, but basketball players don't ever tuck their jerseys in anymore, so you, you can't even see that. And the lettering is very blocky, and it's got that weird apostrophe that's very, you know, early 2000s, mid-2000s styling. And, and right now, you know, the new design that everybody has has been like a a, taking a retro development or a retro style and making it modern. That's what a lot of schools are doing. That seems to be the general vibe of the culture right now when it comes to uniform design. And I think that for Syracuse, you know, we've already got a built-in love of some of that nostalgia. Making that modern is, is almost a no-brainer. It's just a matter of the trademarking, ensuring that the Block S logo, which I know the university outside of athletics, the university loves the 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 versatility of the Block S, um, you know, and that's been a bit that's a big hindrance in going to script full time in that, you know, you don't want your athletic department and your university to be using separate branding when the Block S does a really good job of covering for it both. You know, I, I have no strong opinions on the Block S one way or the other, but Kansas, as an example, had a huge uh, uproar when the athletic department has this big new Adidas deal and the Jayhawk is everywhere and they're they're making the walking Jayhawk a big part of the logo. And then the university says that the Jayhawk doesn't look professional enough, so they're going and using their word their their seal on everything instead of the Jayhawk logo. And that created a huge university struggle as the branding suddenly became segmented and the ability for a university to keep all the branding consistent and for athletics to be able to get the prestige of the academics and the academics to be able to get the notoriety of the athletics through one logo is something that these universities value very highly. It makes sense. This is the most brand centric uh, podcast episode I think we've ever had. Uh, my, my middle name is actually doctor. Oh, oh no. Uh, <laughs> In any case, a quick word from our sponsor here, and then we'll wrap up with some spring football talk. So yeah, Andy, I know you weren't in Syracuse for the spring game. I know I wasn't in Syracuse for the spring game. We had Brandon on site along with Steve Haller. You wrote an article that kind of echoed something I've said in the past. Other fan bases said this year and last and many others that we're seeing, you know, we're increasingly seeing football programs just not get, get the spring game out there. Uh, for people to, to, to watch, even in, in piecemeal. There's just not really a lot of footage from it. It, it, it really does miss the point of the spring game, which is to grow hype, uh, sell tickets, and, and just get people excited. And I think, you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head there and just in terms of, like, the, the, the opportunities that it creates to, to televise that game. Even Again, even if it's after the fact and you just put, you know, 30 to 45 minutes worth of footage on there that just shows some pretty basic vanilla plays, which is all Dino Babers and most coaches are going to run. It's it's the type of thing where it's a missed opportunity. It's it's an easy you know piece of inventory for the ACC network to run. It's something that ESPNU uh, to this point has already run a ton of. I know in the past I've seen plenty of spring games, um, but it's 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 an odd way of like thinking changing a lot. And I know I read an article in I think it was a News and Observer the other day. I was talking about how Davo Swinney kind of sees things really differently at Clemson. And while I'm not striving to be Davo necessarily, I, I think that he's he's done a really good job of turning the spring game into an event and something fun and something that, that really is, is, again, for the fans. And, and since there were so few things that are really tailored directly to the fan experience across college football now, I, I think it's really important that, that, that an event like the spring game maintains that focus. Yeah, I think this year was a really interesting development. You know, I know Syracuse has kind of turned over their marketing department and the and the people who are kind of in charge of selling the university's athletic brand uh, is is an all relatively new crop of people. And I, for the most part, really like the direction they're going in. You know, the spring game was the situation where you've got amazing alumni coming back and answering questions and having very open and honest panel discussions, signing autographs. 
and you're kind of showcasing the history of Syracuse football while still being a very family-friendly event and an opportunity for those who might be on the fence about buying season tickets um, or single-game ticket packages or whatever it may be to kind of go and see what the Dome looks and feels like uh, for a football game if, if you're new to the area or you're, you've lapsed as a ticket holder. Um, so I think that that's, that's the right direction to go in. And the mentality that we're kind of graduating from is that, oh, if we put the spring game on TV, nobody's going to come and watch the spring game, when in reality, the spring game's not about the football at all. Anybody who's kind of into football knows that. They want to watch the spring game in person if you're in central New York because you're a diehard football fan and you want your football fix. And if you are a diehard football fan who can't or doesn't go to the spring game, it's probably because there's some kind of uh, prior commitment or in the case of you and me, like we just we just can't afford to go up to Syracuse for another random weekend. It's tough enough for you to get up there for one weekend a year. You know, I'm committing most of my fall to going up there for football for my season ticket package. So it's ju- it's just a situation where you're only serving your diehard fans at this point by putting a stream up. And those are the people that you want to keep appeased into the football program. Cause it's great that the team went 10 and four this year. It's amazing. I hope they continue to build or 10 and three. I hope they continue to build off of this. Uh, and I'm sure that they will. But when, the, when there's an eventual drop off because college football always has teams drop off, you know, your diehards are going to be there still holding the program up and you want to service them now so that way, when the times are tougher, you know, they're, they're there for you. Right. From a financial standpoint, too. I mean, you know, it, it's not just who's watching. It's not just who's buying a T-shirt. It's also who's going to be a booster. And like, you know, I'm not necessarily in that game in part because I'm a member of the media. I don't necessarily love the intermingling of those two endeavors. But that said, I, I do really want the Syracuse football team to, to succeed. And, you know, maybe in some future where I'm not necessarily a quote unquote media member, you know, it, it, that becomes a different proposition. I think for for plenty of other people who are who are remote. I mean, I know tons of you know Syracuse fans out here, and tons of Syracuse fans in different cities around the country that aren't really all that close to New York. Like, it 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 makes perfect sense to to you know, just that one touch point could could be the difference between somebody giving a thousand dollars to the athletic fund or not, and and and, and that thousand dollars could mean you know the difference between. Um, you know, some amenity for the season for, for, you know, the players or not, or, you know, maybe that, that gets start, that gets us started, you know, changing the way that, you know, season tickets are presented to season ticket holders, whether, or, 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 or anything. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, just kind of like just grasping at straws here. Like that, that's just one really basic, I feel like touch point that, mm-hmm. you know, like, for, like if you're a non like athletic program brand, like you absolutely take advantage of, of of reaching out to you know your 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 evangelists and people that that you're that that are automatically going to be talking about you so you might as well give them you know something again that's largely free like for you to produce because the 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 everything's already in the dome and for you to produce and for and for them to watch and, and in return they're probably going to be more invested um, in terms of time commitment and and, and money and, and that only means good things for you exactly and I, I said it like in the article that I wrote if it was ten dollars to stream it on Qs.com I would have done it you know it's it, for me being a fan and, and being a part of the football team community means you know watching the spring game and being able to see that team early and get excited about. Uh, some of the new names that you get to see in orange. And I, I feel like, you know, this year was kind of an interesting scenario. I think it's still a lot of people figuring out how things are going to work. And a lot of focus was put on the in the central New York crowd in terms of we've got this amazing alumni here. We want to make sure that's good. But, you know, the crux of, of the article is that moving forward, the ACC network is going to be really hungry for content. And the spring game is just something that the SEC network makes a big deal about where for most of the school, schools they have a live setup with the sec network outside of their outside of the spring game the big 10 network does something pretty similar and it just seems like a really foolish decision for the acc network not to copy that model where everybody's spring games are kind of spread out you have that spring game the feature of that saturday or sunday and it's it's instant content for you that can work for that day and can also work for reruns in the summer when there's literally no college sports going on 
And so when push comes to shove, I think that the network would win out. And I think that Syracuse would be foolish to push against the network if that's what they want to do. Yeah. And I mean, too, like we talked about this as well. Like there's a there's a balance between, you know, the ACC network being overflow and it being original content. I think the SEC network over time has figured out um, a really nice balance that the Big Ten network still hasn't figured out with the Big Ten network. It's so much overflow um, and, and there's very little to watch there beyond um, just athletic events and, and so much so that they even have the you know their secondary network you know the uh, <laughs> 10 plus that like is, is more overflow um i think the sec network's done a really nice job of again keeping that balance and like keeping that culture together um uh, of celebrating the culture and, and and the collective voices around the sec while also uh celebrating the live games where appropriate um and obviously you have a streaming option uh, available as well i think among the acc like this year, like you can absolutely park that on ACC Network Extra if you'd rather not make it, you know, super overflow focused, and you'd rather keep things. And it seems like they are going to keep things very personality driven, which again I think is a really smart move. Um, I, I, I think it, it, it's a no brainer, and, and, and again, some uh, an easy checkbox that I, I hope we see uh, addressed in the future. Yeah, like I'm just thinking right now, how easy is it to just basically say, listen, if you want to watch it, it's going to be on if you want to watch the full game in its entirety, you go on to the streaming platform live and you can you can watch it that way. And then, you know, the next week, there's a one hour segment called Syracuse Spring or ACC Spring Syracuse or something. And it's basically a one hour recap of what happened at the spring game where you've got interviews with Tom Coughlin and Floyd Little and Larry Zonka and you're you're talking to Dino Babers and it's got some highlights of the spring game and it's talking about how uh, you've got people from the athletic department talking about how great it is that this year that we've seen the the ticket bump that the the fans have committed to the program or whatever and you turn that into like a quick one hour program like that's a really cool way of making the spring game much more digestible for a network servicing uh you know the school in terms of making sure that the spring game looks as appealing as possible and then giving the option for diehard fans to consume it in multiple different formats ACC network and Syracuse I think we just fixed it <laughs> you know what I think that's a good place to wrap Andy, anything else before we go? I do appreciate you coming out here on a short notice. No, I appreciate that we didn't talk much basketball since I know next to nothing. <laughs> As always, this this podcast is very committed to not talking about basketball, um, except when absolutely uh, necessary. Yeah, I've I, I very much appreciate that. Um, you know, I'm I'm very much glad that we're at this point where the football team deserves to be talked about. There is enough content going on. You know, we're moving into the silly season, and in terms of where our site goes, just because there's nothing going on in terms of actual athletic events. So, uh, I'm looking forward to just kind of getting weird with the rest of the staff, and uh, I think that. The nice part about it is that this summer people will actually want to engage in the football discussions with us. And I'm, I'm genuinely excited for there to be a buzz around the football program this year. Same here. Just hopefully we can uh, we can live up. In any case, that was Andy. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Megaphone, on whatever other uh, podcast app or website you might listen to us on. And uh, go Orange.